This is Gary Parrish with CBS Sports. It's now late on Thursday. It's January 28th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. I got Sam Bassini with me. We got a big weekend of college basketball on tap. Kentucky, Kansas, Iowa State, Texas A&M, Virginia, Louisville, Oklahoma, LSU. We're going to look ahead most of this podcast, uh, but real quickly before we get into it, uh, earlier tonight on this Thursday night, uh, Maryland beat Iowa in what was a matchup of top 10 teams, 74-68 at the Verizon Center. Nothing really spectacular about the game. And nobody went and got 30. Nobody played out of their minds. It was just a ba- college basketball game between two good teams and one won and one lost. But what's most interesting is that, and I, I realized this going in, um, but it, it seems like a bigger deal coming out of it. Mar- it's January 28th. Maryland had zero top 50 RPI wins uh, when they woke up this morning. Now they're going to go to bed with one. That one is over Iowa. Um, but and it's just a product of the schedule. They don't have any bad losses. They but they have lost to the three best teams they had played before tonight. Norlander, I'll start with you. Maryland, uh, a team that is good and a national title contender, despite the fact that it doesn't really have you know multiple quality wins at this point. Or is that concerning that they are still at this moment, even with a victory over Iowa, one in three against the best four teams they play? I would lean the former. Uh, in part because I'm a huge believer in the roster that Maryland has. Um, kind of shocking that this was the first time in that building, because uh, in the, you know 13 years since Coalfield House shut down, that Maryland has hosted a top 10 matchup. That's obviously due in large part that Maryland, for a large part of that time, uh, wasn't even a ranked team, let alone a top 10 team. I still, I'm a big time believer in Mello Trimble, Robert Carter, and Diamond Stone are really getting better by the week. Um, and, you know, Jake Lehman continues to have flashes. Like, I guess on the whole, Maryland isn't, like, totally as consistent as their talent would indicate. But I do believe that because of how reliable I think Trimble is at, at guiding this team. And Suleiman, by the way, continues to kind of be what I thought he would be in that he's getting, uh, you know, more involved in a lot of facets for this team as as the games go on. I, I, I do think that they're going to wind up with a pretty respectable seed because they're going to have some chances here in the Big Ten. And then, like, like you know, if they go on a run and they win the Big Ten tournament, obviously that'll be a, a huge boost to whatever, uh, wherever they end up landing with the selection committee. But for anyone that wants to be, still be skeptical, I totally get it. I mean, they did win by three points at home over a really good Iowa team. It's not a bad loss for Iowa whatsoever. But I would, I would still lean, like, if I were making a list of, say, the, you know, a Final Four right now are the four teams that I would think were most likely to win the title. I would have a hard time not putting Maryland in that group of four. Sam, Maryland is a national title contender. Don't worry about the lack of quality wins. Or, yo, they're one and three against the best four teams they've played. Pay attention to that. Yeah, I lean more toward Matt's side of the ledger, I would say. Uh, like I said, kind of coming into the season, this is a team that I thought would take some time to gel together. I mean, you have all of these new pieces coming in. You have Diamond Stone coming in. You have Rashid Suleiman come in. You have uh, Robert Carter playing games for the first time, even though he was there as a transfer last year. Um, it's just a lot to integrate and uh, get used to playing together. So this is a team that's going to keep getting better and better and better as the season goes on. I think there's not really a real reason to panic right now. I don't think, especially after you beat 
who, for my money, was the hottest team in the country uh, in Iowa uh, coming into this game. And, and yeah, they're fine. Uh, I would expect them to go something like, you know, 25 wins in the regular season and end up as like a two seed. I think you guys got it right. I think they're fine. I mean, the, the idea that they're one in three against the best four teams they played, like, isn't ideal. That's not a great bullet point to have on your resume. But uh, the three losses, it should be noted, were all true road games. You know, they lost at North Carolina by single digits. They lost at Michigan by single digits. They lost at Michigan State by single digits. So whatever. I, I'm with you guys. I think I don't know that they're going to be in play for one seed. They certainly could be. But uh, a top three seed and with an uh, incredible amount of talent, uh, spread throughout the roster, they'll be a factor in the NCAA tournament. Uh, let's start looking ahead. Uh, the big game, uh, not necessarily the, the game between the two highest-ranked teams, but the one that's going to get most of the attention because it's two big brands. Um, it's a rematch of the 2012 National Championship game. It's Kentucky at Kansas. And, Norlander, I want to start with you because you wrote a, an interesting piece uh, that people can find at CBSSports.com right now about – sort of how dominant Kansas is inside Allen Fieldhouse. I think people know at this point, but it's worth repeating. Bill Self is in his 13th year at KU. He's only lost nine games there ever. He has, um, uh, <laughs> I love this. It, it, it doesn't speak poorly of Scott Drew, but like I love that Scott Drew has more losses inside Allen Fieldhouse than Bill okay. Self has in front, inside of Allen Fieldhouse. <laughs> um, it's just a funny thing to say out loud. But um it is pretty remarkable, right? I mean, they. I was on a radio show in Kentucky earlier today, and they said, uh, does, can, does Kentucky have a shot? And I said, well, of course they have a shot. They, they probably got a better roster, and they seem to be playing well. But, my God, nobody ever wins there. Like, it just doesn't happen. You talk to uh, almost all of the coaches who have lost there to Bill Self in the past 12-plus years. Uh, what is their theory on why you can't win inside Allen Fieldhouse? Besides the obvious, which is, hey, Kansas is really good. Most people don't beat them anywhere. Yeah. Um, shout out to Billy Gillespie. Please return my phone call. You're the only coach that didn't talk to me for the story. Um, so I'm sure he was, I'm sure he was tied up. Uh, no, I'm no sure doubt he's about listening it. to this for sure. And, too. I, and I'm hope. And if he does, I will update the, the story if I'm able to wrangle him before the Kentucky Kansas game tips off on Saturday. So here's to hoping. First of all, I, I recommend the story to anyone one because I wrote it, but two, it's a huge nostalgia trip. I mean, you know, you're dropping names like Nick Fazekas and Ramon Sessions, uh, and I remember that Nevada win over Kansas back in '05, and I was kind of shocked. What's What's crazy is when I look at the Kansas rosters and some of the guys that are on. I'm like, has it really been like Has it been that long since Julian Wright was in college? Like that's when you really start feeling old. Um, I got really good quotes from a lot of guys. I would say. The thing that was very consistent, and a couple of guys are like, listen, I'm going to tell you this, but it's off the record. I'd rather you not include it in the story. They think that uh, Fog Allen has among the most unfair whistles in all of college basketball. Mm-hmm. Now, God bless Wayne Morgan, who was a coach at Iowa State and is no longer even in the profession. And he was like, hey, man, we should have won two years in a row. Check the tape the year before. They got a three at the end of regulation that tied it, and they should have been a two. The foot was on the line, but they couldn't review it and overturn it. Oh, wow. And earlier in the game, J.R. Giddens hit this three-pointer after a free throw that was supposed to be a two-shot foul, but they thought it was a one-and-one. And I did forget about that, but when Morgan brought it up to me, I remembered that play, and it was just a total quagmire. Again, I couldn't believe it had been more than a decade since that had happened. But they definitely, coaches definitely believe that uh, the whistle is is very unbalanced. And listen, when you go on the road, it's unbalanced, period. Sure. I mean, that's just that's just something to expect. But they said, no, 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 even more so in this. Uh, and they say, and that's also in large part, and I hope I get to experience this uh, up close and personal on Saturday. They said the fans are so dedicated, sophisticated, knowledgeable, 
but they are on the refs and they are on the team from the get-go. They are relentless, and that definitely has some sort of human effect and element on it, and so you've got to overcome that. So that's why a couple of the wins... And what I didn't realize before I started working is no coach has beaten self twice in the building. The nine losses are to nine different teams and to nine different coaches, which is also kind of surprising that not even, you know, one Big 12 coach or team has picked him off twice. I'll also note that, yes, I had a few Kentucky fans when I tweeted the story out and they were like, hey, just so you know, uh, Calipari is, you know, basically on the same track. He's 114 and four or something like that at Rupp. If he gets to 209, I'll write a, a, a similar story. I promise you. Um, <laughs> what he does there is also very, very impressive. But for self, I mean, he's winning at a 96% clip. Um, I don't think Kentucky is going to be able to go in and pull this off, even with everything that we've talked about on the podcast. Parrish wrote a really good column about how Kansas lacks a potential first-round draft pick in a starting lineup for the first time under Bill Self, okay? And with all of its uh, struggles in Big 12 league play, this is definitely heading toward, and you look at the Vegas odds, this is all heading toward a situation where within the Big 12, Kansas is not the favorite to win the league anymore, and that streak comes to an end and all that stuff. But I got to see Kentucky really, to, to go into this environment when Kansas is actually up against it, and they usually have rallied in the few times they've been truly up against it at any point in the regular season in the past. It's going to be really interesting it would be cool, i got to admit, if Kentucky pulls it off and I'm there for the rare time that it happens, I think that would be a, a really fun and great thing to write about. But I'm not thinking that they're going to be able to pull it off. And if they are, I mean, I can kind of this, transition this really quick to you guys if you want. I mean, which, how is that going to happen? How do, how do we think that Kansas is going to not necessarily allow it or maybe Kentucky and Calipari might scheme for that to happen? Uh, I'll let Sam take that. I mean, the simple thing is I, I think, you know, Kentucky seems to be playing with a lot of confidence right now. And, like, you get one of those guys going. Like, you get Jamal Murray just going. Like, I had a coach text me after Kansas lost the other night, and he said, I can't believe Bill got caught with these mid-major guards. And, you know, Devontae Graham and Frank Mason are probably better than mid-major guards, but the point remains the same. This ain't Sharon Collins and, and Mario Chalmers. And so you've got a pretty distinct talent advantage when you're talking about Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray against these guards. And um, Kentucky's still immensely talented. They just haven't played well most of the season. But they're incredibly talented. And if they, you know, they just won at Bud Walton, which is not as difficult to win inside of as, say, Allen Fieldhouse, because Arkansas is never as good as Kansas. But it's still a tough place to play. Texas A&M just lost there. And, and, you know, when you look at Kentucky winning there, and then I know it's just Missouri, but it's still an SEC team. They had them by 40 um, you know, Kentucky's clearly playing better. They're uh, they're more talented than Kansas, I believe. It's certainly the, the players who are getting on the court. That's a more, good question. Is Kentucky more talented than Kansas? Certainly in terms of the players that are playing. And I'm, you know, the point being that you know Bragg and Diallo don't really play much, and they're two of Ken- and Svee doesn't really play. So like, or Svee. Yeah, Svee. Uh, you want to go ahead and tackle the last name? I still can't get it right. Hi, Luke. Mahaya, Luke, yeah. Mahaya Luke. Um, and so, uh, yeah, th- th- those are three possible NBA players, and they don't really play. And so um, maybe if we just took the rosters out of the media guides, we could make a, we could have a conversation about it. But in terms of the players who actually are going to be playing in the game, um, yeah, Kentucky's more talented. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's a crazy statement at all. I think that uh, – No, I think it's just the, interesting. I, brought, I, just, I think it's interesting. I think you could make uh, cases either way. Yeah, and I do think it's a little bit unfair for uh, people to term Frank Mason as in as a mid-major guard. He's I think a, he's, he's a good he's that. a good college player. He's a very yeah. good college player. 
Yeah, I mean, Devontae Graham, I've never been huge on necessarily, but uh, Frank Mason, I think, is much better than a mid-major guard, and I think that the battle between him and Tyler Eulis really is going to tell the tale of this game. Uh, the way that Kentucky wins this game is, like Gary said, Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray go crazy. They're going to need Tyler Eulis to have another one of those 25 games that he's had. He's had 20 points and five assists and I believe, eight games this season, which is more often than any other player uh, has had in a season in Kentucky's history. I think I saw Kyle Tucker uh, tweet that after their game against Missouri last night. Um, That's the way they win this game, pure and simple. It's really going to come down to both of those guys performing because it's not just going to take Jamal. It's not just going to take Tyler Eulis. They need Jamal Murray to really step up and knock down shots. He struggled early on in games this season, uh, really just shooting much better in the second half. Uh, He needs to get that going early because if he shoots poorly in the first half, Fog Allen is a kind of place where things can compound upon uh, itself. He can start shooting poorly in the second half, can really get down on himself. It wouldn't be a surprise if that happened for the freshman, even though Murray is a pretty composed guy that uh, tends to play pretty well uh, in big spots. But uh, I would totally expect Kansas to come away with a win here because it seems like one of those spots where uh, over the course of the last decade, Bill Self teams have really stepped up when they're up against it. I mean, This is the kind of spot where they need to start building momentum toward that stretch run. They have Kansas State coming in. They have TCU coming in, meaning this is a nice three game stretch where they can hopefully build a little bit and get uh, get away from that uh, five game run where they lost three games to West Virginia, Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Uh, Then that's when the difficult part of their schedule picks up. They get back to back games against West Virginia and that great matchup against Oklahoma on Valentine's Day weekend. It's going to be fun to see where the Big 12 goes, but. I think that Kansas needs this one actually more than Kentucky does. When I was working on that Kansas column earlier in the week, you know, Norlander, you said one of the things you didn't know before you started working was that uh, the nine losses Bill's taken inside Allen Fieldhouse are by nine different coaches, nine different teams. One of the things I didn't know before I started working is that he had never had a starting lineup that didn't feature somebody who ended up being a first round draft pick. Like I went all the way back to the year and I'd be like, I'd be like, okay, there, there's three. Okay, there's two. Okay, there's one. Okay, there's three. And you get to this year, and listen, I, I guess some one of these starters could end up in the first round, but I don't see it, and nobody projects it. Uh, the uh, you know, so like they're operating with an, uh, a less talented starting lineup than arguably that he's ever had at at Kansas. Uh, the issue, of course, the one that Kansas fans uh, keep chirping about, and I think somewhat reasonably, is that. Hey, he does have a first round draft pick, though. It's just that the kid's buried on the bench. And so, Sam, I want to ask you this. Um, maybe this is a poor comparison, but it, it popped into my head. You know, Greg. Popovich, this is where you get me yelled at by Bill Self, isn't it? Greg Popovich um, <laughs> is willing to sacrifice regular season stuff to make sure they're maximized for the postseason, right? I mean, a lot of NBA teams will, but like he's like sort mm-hmm. of at the forefront of this. Like he'll sit Tim Duncan down, he'll rest guys, he'll limit minutes. All because he says, you know what, if we if we take four losses in the regular season we otherwise wouldn't have taken, but we're fresh and ready and maximized for the postseason run, that's fine because that's smart because that's the only thing anybody's ever going to remember anyway. I, I say that to say this. Is it reasonable to suggest Bill Self should play Diallo and brag because they're undeniably more talented than the front court players he's using? Play them. And even if they suck right now, at least you're you're allowing them to learn on the court and your ceiling raises for the postseason just because uh, you'll have more talent on the court in the postseason. Is that a reasonable opinion? 
I mean, I've been saying this for a little while that I personally believe it's a reasonable opinion. I totally understand Bill Self's view of it, that these guys aren't ready to play. They're out there making poor rotations. They're just flat out missing passes on offensive plays like Chick Diallo did a couple times. Like, I get it from his perspective. I really, really do. And, you know, it's hard to play guys who don't necessarily know where they're supposed to be. But this this is a problem. I mean, this offensive or like not the offense, the front court is just not talented enough. You got guys like Jamari Trailer, Landon Lucas, uh, Hunter Mickelson, uh, it, like th- those guys aren't good enough to get it done in the NCAA tournament, pure and simple. You need guys like Shek Diallo and Carlton Bragg to give you some sort of added athleticism and skill. Jamari Trailer is a really good athlete who doesn't really rebound well. Landon Lucas is a big body who isn't really a great athlete. Uh, Hunter Mickelson is really, really big. Uh, but the thing with Diallo is... <laughs> And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> no, I mean, that's unfair to Mickelson because I just am not as familiar with his game necessarily, but he's really big and takes up space and defends a little bit better than uh, what you would expect from Chuck Diallo and Carlton Bragg right now. But these guys are athletic. They can make plays with that athleticism. They can actually utilize it in games in ways that the other three can't. And I would personally be willing to take losses uh, midway through the season. Uh to better my team later in the season, but I will also give self a bit of a cop out here in that I think that if Diallo was eligible from the start of the season, mm-hmm. that this would be a totally different conversation. Yeah. Like if Diallo would have been eligible for games like Northern Colorado, Chaminade, even the UCLA game where they were up like 25 the whole way, it seemed like, I mean, if you can get them experience there and then you can get them through, get them some more experience through that December 1st through 9th window where they played Loyola, Maryland, Harvard, Holy Cross, Oregon state, Montana, back to back to back to back to back. Uh, this is a totally different conversation, I think. And uh, the NCAA really did self no favors by not allowing Diallo to be eligible at that point. And it's a totally unfair uh, thing that happened to Kansas this season, pure and simple. Uh, But at this point, you kind of have to figure out a way around that. And I think the way around that is to kind of continue to get Shek Diallo minutes and see what he can provide for you, pure and simple. I mean, even if he fouls out in 17 minutes against Kentucky, I think it would be useful. Norlander, let's pop over to Kentucky for just a minute before we move on. Um, through 19 games two years ago, they were 15-4 and four and underachieving. They had um, started this season, I believe, ranked preseason number one and had slipped into the teens and 20s and ultimately slipped out, uh, slipped out of the top 25. And then it started clicking, and then they ended up in the national championship game. Um, through 19 games this year, 15-4. and four. They're preseason top two, um, underachieving. Um, I don't think they slipped out of the AP poll, but they they came close. And uh, now it looks like that things are clicking at least on some level. They, uh, you know, won at Arkansas, beat Vanderbilt, murdered Missouri. All of those were double digit victories. Um, are we going to look up in March and go, oh wow, Cal Perry did it again? Got it. Took him a little while to get it going, but now this immensely talented roster is a threat to go to another final four mm. you're not buying it's, it it's possible no it's definitely possible because I, I would I can never it. count out Kyla Perry in this regard I did like 
I think I liked the roster two years ago more than I like it now. Just for a refresher, roster two years ago had Julius Randle, whose game I was obsessed with in college. Harrison Twins, obviously, were not uh, what we thought they would be, but James Young certainly was uh, a reliable presence on the floor. Uh, Collie Stein was fledgling or maybe even beyond fledgling at that point. It's a toss-up, I think, and then, you know, the Poitras factor is the constant between the two seasons overall. It's definitely something that might happen. I, I would lean toward it. You know, first of all, if you ran, you know, if you ran simulations on that NCAA tournament, Kentucky would not make the championship game. You know, all but maybe five to ten percent of the time. Like what they did was incredible, and you could argue they got the best possible matchup in the round of 32 when they got a Wichita State team and they gave us really one of the best NCAA tournament games over the past half decade. Um, with Ulysses, I still have a lot of confidence there, and I'm I'm still big on Murray overall, but. I'm more like if you ask me to kind of if I'm projecting, I think Kentucky will land somewhere around a number four seed, probably reach the second weekend. But when they don't, when it doesn't make the final four, when we see the path that it kind of carved out, it'll kind of make sense, and we'll be like, yeah, that was about that was about right. And by the way, that's more than okay because Calipari has done incredible things, and basically, like he's made he's he's done uh, what he's done is he's made Kentucky fans rationally and reasonably expect a final four appearance with every season, and to get your program at that kind of level again of rational expectation, which is what it is. It just speaks to what he's done. So if they don't make it this year, it's hardly the worst thing in the world. Hey, hey, you're speaking as you, – you're clearly not a member of Big Blue Nation, Norlander. It's, I'm not a BBN card-carrying member. I have it's, to. It's, so it's okay with you, but it's not going to be okay with Big Blue Nation. But in all seriousness, look if you look at what he's done there um okay so first year elite eight whatever probably had the best team. this is amazing okay. uh, yes you're, elite you're eight just... elite eight but he had the best team in the country yeah okay that's that's the first and team. he kind of walked in and did it too by the way let's just remember like what kentucky was and how he changed the roster immediately and then that season was just like oh yeah here's the here's the roster we're oh, here, awesome yeah here's here's john wall and demarcus cousins let's go play crazy okay so next year final four next year national championship next year that's the NIT year, but like his best player got, you know, tore his ACL. I'm not saying that they would have gone to a Final Four that year, but his best player tore his ACL. Um, next year, runner up. Next year, Final Four. So it, he's been to one, two, three, four of the past five Final Fours. Like, I think, I don't think people focus on that enough. He's been to four. Do you remember when like Ben Hallen went to three straight Final Fours and it was like, oh my God, Ben Hallen went to three. Yeah. yeah. Like Cal Perry's gone to four of the past five Final Fours. Like that's crazy. I, I, I totally agree. I think because um, – It's only one championship? Like people – Maybe a little bit of that, but you know what? Hallen didn't win a championship and he still got tons of run for three straight. Uh, I think part of it is because – of the players that Cal gets and with the expectation that, and this isn't realistic, you cannot expect a national championship and, and, and without a doubt, that's not if you're Alabama football. I know what Nick Davis statement does. It's ridiculous, but you it, to expect a national championship every year is, is just insane. But um, I think because he has not won more than one, I think that might, but they still get there. I think that might be why we don't make as big a deal of it. Uh, and in a weird way, like if it, if it happens again this year, I mean, 
I mean, what more do you want? Just you know, it'd be ridiculous. Even in a year where it's like down, relatively speaking, at the top, I get all that. All right, Sam, let's uh, stick uh, with the SEC Big 12 Challenge, but move on to Texas A&M, Iowa State. Uh, as I've written about and we've talked about, Steve Prohm, after back-to-back losses, including one to Texas in overtime, took Facebook off of his phone. He took Twitter off of his phone. He was uh, publicly acknowledging that, he was worried about disappointing people, and since then, it's been Kansas State went on the road, Oklahoma went at home, TCU went on the road, Kansas went at home. Um, he's got this thing turned around. It won't make Saturday at A&M any easier, but um, from a guy who was on the verge of dropping out of the top 25 to a guy who's now you know, on the verge, if they are to, able to beat Texas A&M, like he'll have them back in the top five of the AP poll. It's a pretty stunning – I don't know, stunning is not the right word, but it's a pretty impressive – uh, past couple of weeks no I, I think that stunning is probably pretty fair actually I mean the, the most stunning part of it has been the defensive turnaround three of their four games in that run uh, they've been under a point per possession defensively after that Texas monstrosity where they, they just were terrible defensively they couldn't defend a ball screen to save their lives uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this Texas A&M Iowa State game I would say uh, Texas A&M last night fell in Bud Walton, like you said earlier, but it was a terrible basketball Sam game. Sam loved watching that game. He was like, I love my job. I'm so happy I get to write about this right now. No, I, I was complaining in our Slack thread about that game the entire way. Um, and shout, really, out to, shout out to Slack. And really, <laughs> shout out to the GP even being in Slack. That's the miracle yeah. of the year. Yeah, uh, Texas A&M probably did not even deserve to lose that game. They had two uh, baskets called back that really should have been and ones uh, that were called charges against Jalen Jones and Alex Caruso. Uh, Yeah, they turned the ball over 20 times against Arkansas, and that's kind of a recipe for disaster, but they should not have lost that game. And the officials should be really just embarrassed with their performance. Yeah. it's it's going to be fun to see how this game goes, though. You're talking about a team in Texas A&M that lives off of its depth. They're traditionally nine deep team uh, who can beat you in a variety of different ways. They share the ball. They play really solid defense against uh, Iowa State. However, you're talking about a team that really runs six deep, right, and is a great offensive team. It's going to be a great clash of styles, I think, and. I ultimately think Texas A&M probably pulls out the win just because they're the home team. It's hard to go into Reed, Are- Reed Arena and win. But uh, also hard to say, also hard to say Reed Arena. Reed Arena. Yeah, <laughs> it took me a second there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would expect that that ends up being the result. But it's going to be a tight game. It's going to be a fun game to watch. I think this is the game where um, I don't know that there's much difference between these two teams and whoever's playing at home wins, right? I mean, that's... Like yeah. if, if the game was at Hilton, I'd take Iowa State. Game in, is in uh, at, at Reed Arena. I would take Texas A&M. And so, yeah, I would imagine the Aggies will get that win. But uh, hey, we'll see. They're going to play the basketball game. Meantime, you know, real, well, hold on, yeah, real quick, ahead. you know the cool the cool little subtext to this game is let me think, is is oh they're both former Murray State coaches. They are. How yeah. how cool is that? That's I had just, uh, I had not thought about that until the second I thought about that. Really? Now. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of cool thing. All right, you want to get to uh, Ben versus Buddy? Yeah, so you get uh, Ben versus Buddy, Oklahoma versus LSU. Um, LSU got a chance here, or is this just a no way? Ooh, well, they're at home, so they're going to have a chance. This is, I mean, come on now. LSU, you've uh, done well since Craig Victor uh, came into the lineup, and and now you get the, the guy in the driver's seat for National Player of the Year. 
Buddy Heald is, is approaching levels of ridiculousness and historicness. Uh, Luke Wynn had his power rankings go up. I didn't realize it was this good. So basically since 1995-96, there have only been three players ever to uh, shoot better than uh, 90% from the line, 50% from two, and uh, 50% from three, or 50% from field goal range and 50% from three. Salim Sadatemeyer, who I never would have guessed uh, was that good, oh, wow. was one of them. Uh, yeah. Hayield is one of them. So, like, this is kind of nuts. And I, I kind of, like, half-jokingly, not really half-jokingly, but a couple weeks ago, I was like, when I watch Buddy Heald play at, from purely at the college level and when he shoots, I get the same sort of feeling as when I watch Steph Curry because – when he puts up a three, I'm expecting it to fall in. And he's performing at an offensive level in a tougher conference, better than Steph did at the college level. It's been an amazing thing to to watch play out. And right now, whereas the player of the year race was pretty congested for most of the time up until about a week and a half ago, Heald can lose it, don't get me wrong, but he is firmly uh, he is firmly in the, in the pole position. LSU gets a huge chance here. If it wins, I think that totally changes the way we look at LSU because it'll – just it'll be their banner victory without a doubt even more than beating kentucky at home that was a nice win but let's be real oklahoma is considered a much better team right now than kentucky and rightfully so and so here we go i'm, I'm super excited for the game what's the tip though here's my worry i'm gonna be in lawrence i don't even know if i can watch the game do we know what time this uh this one tips off well considering we all have computers with schedules on them i think it's pretty easy to find out it's four o'clock uh okay, four so o'clock central Four o'clock yeah, Central. Yeah, fourth Central, and my game, I think, is at six Central. So I uh, really want to see what happens here. And and by the way, I, I really want to – Blakeney for LSU, it's, it's about time that he started producing at a much higher level. Let's remember that he was a five-star recruit. Okay, Simmons was the other one, and he was the headliner. But when they landed Blakeney as well, it was almost like, okay, this is like this is for real now with this, with this roster that they're going to have with Victor – Quarterman's coming back and all of that, but he's been a letdown, and I'm I'm sensing that given how good Oklahoma's backcourt is, Blakeney cannot afford to be as middling as he's been uh, for most of the season. He's just I'm, I was expecting more, I guess, and so if that doesn't happen, I think Oklahoma has got a really good chance to to pull out a win. Yeah, I, I will I will just note about Blakeney. This isn't necessarily a big surprise to people that have been scouting him for a while. Well, I okay, so real quick, uh. Agreed, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I guess it's a surprise in that in the preseason, we, were, you know, they asked me to to list the top twenty-five freshmen, and I did not want to put Blakeney on the list, and I asked a few recruit nicks. I'm going to just drop Jeff Borzello's name right here, right now on the podcast, <laughs> with them, and he said there is no chance Blakeney isn't one of the top twenty-five freshmen in the country. Oh, wow. So I was yeah, like, okay, nice. you're telling me this. I'm going to do it, and he, he clearly hasn't been. So Love Borzello does a great job. So it's just been vexing, and it's been a little weird that he's been this much of a non-factor. Uh, and whereas Johnny Jones gets so much of the criticism, uh, and surely that's rightfully you know placed. Let's just look at what some of the players have failed to do as well. Yeah, at this point, it looks like uh, Antonio Blakeney is is so far as college career is best known for he's he was allegedly involved in the Louisville prostitution scandal, <laughs> right? Like like uh, so, it's so actually. That's yeah. a good point that I hadn't even considered. Maybe yeah. it's been weighing on his mind all season. Maybe it's been weighing on his mind all season. The other two big games, just touch on them very, very quickly, West Virginia uh, and Florida. That's also Big 12 SEC related. And then Virginia at Louisville. A couple of points I want to make. One, um, this is a big weekend for the SEC. It hasn't been very good this year. But you've got uh, the number one team in the country in Baton Rouge. You've got Kentucky playing Kansas. You've got Florida um uh, I believe, is it hosting? Is Florida hosting? Florida hosting West Virginia. Yes, that's right? right. So you've got three 
I don't know if Kentucky at Kansas is winnable. Like, I don't want to say, but it's still Kentucky. So like, let's just say it's possible, but like LSU at home, uh, that's a, a, that's a possible win. And, and I think Florida at home is a possible win. So it could be a, you know, it's very, and, and then of course, Texas A&M, you get Iowa state. Okay. So the SEC could come out of this with three, you know, and maybe four, but let's just say it's reasonable to suggest they could come out of this with three um, resume building wins for the league. Right. Uh, if, if, if against a- the best conference by metric in the country. Yeah. So like a and M's get, gets Iowa state at home. You could, you can win that. Uh, Florida gets West Virginia at home. You can win that. LSU gets Oklahoma at home. You can win that. So it could be a, a really important weekend for the SEC and a huge weekend uh, for the for the members of that league. Virginia-Louisville, that's obviously an ACC matchup. And Louisville's in a little bit of a similar situation that Maryland was in heading into Thursday night. Like, they're still looking for their signature win. There's no bad losses there, really. I guess at Clemson is a kind of a bad I mean, one. Yeah, I mean, awful now. But I, mean, yeah. I mean, everybody else loses at Clemson, so, like, <laughs> whatever. But, um they still need a win. You know, they need a win. And um, because if only because I'm tired of every time I post the top 25 and one, somebody says, who is Louisville beaten? And I have to say, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Uh, but, but so, 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 uh, so this is an opportunity for uh, them to provide an answer to that question. They can say uh, Louisville has beaten the Virginia Cavaliers. So um, it should be a, a fun weekend. I am, uh, I'm going to be, uh, not at a game. Uh, Norlander, you are going to Kentucky, Kansas. And my understanding is it is your first trip to Fog Allen, right? Yeah, it is. Um, you're going to be grinding though, GP, right? I, I'll be, I'll be, wor- I'll be working. I'll be working some. I'm just not going to be in a basketball arena anywhere. And we can leave that a mystery for the podcast listeners. <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, no doubt. Real quick, uh, I'll let Sam ch- chime in real quick on Virginia, Louisville too, because I just want to mention like Virginia should have lost this week. Um, sure. It was, it, it should have lost. They were down it, seven it, with 20 seconds to go. And they and they I was at, I was at the Providence Xavier game that night, um, and so I didn't watch the game. But I think someone tweeted something like, "Virginia scored like 20 points in two minutes or something ridiculous." And of course, Darius Thompson shot, which was insane. That banked off to win it at the buzzer from a three point, like it just bonkers. So, um, if if Virginia does lose at at Louisville, which you know is very reasonable to think that it could happen, um, you know, within context of what Virginia's basically done since the since the turn of the calendar here, you know, just there's something weird going on with that team and they should be better than they are. But if they can beat Louisville, um, then of course we're going to turn to Louisville and say, listen, you had, you know, a wobbly Virginia team on your home floor and you, and you couldn't get it done. And then when you look at what they'll have failed to do, similar to Maryland and playing its best teams, um, the Louisville's case going forward will continue to be under uh, plenty of scrutiny because they follow up Virginia with something I'm sure we'll talk about on, on Monday's podcast. They host North Carolina on Monday, which is a huge opportunity. Sure. Sam, your thoughts on uh, Virginia, Louisville? Yeah, I mean, that's a game that I would probably expect Louisville to win because Virginia has been terrible on the road this season, for lack of a better term. Uh, but let's just note real quickly that Arizona's McHale center streak is about to go down to Oregon. Uh, they're down eight with yes. under a minute left. So uh, that, that kind of sets us up for just more chaos in the Pac-12, really. Uh, but Oregon, I think, is really kind of establishing itself as – the favorite in the league right now. Uh, they're going to be sitting now at six and two in the league. Uh, I believe that if UCLA beats Washington tonight, they will be the only two lost team remaining in the league. And uh, they've obviously gotten their toughest road trip out of the way uh, going down to McHale. So I think that 
we're probably going to be talking about Oregon as your Pac-12 favorite coming out of tonight. And that's going to be a kind of a bit of a departure from the last few seasons. Oregon's obviously been good since Dana Altman took over. They've made the NCAA tournament three years running, but uh, them becoming the favorite in the Pac-12 is another step forward for that program uh, in a way that uh, I think even Oregon fans might be a little bit surprised with given uh, the traditional powers that are in that league. And it's probably, you know, as long as context is important, a byproduct of Arizona losing its top four players, including three NBA players off last year's team and uh, losing two five-star recruits. Right. Um, so, yep. so, I mean, Sean's just working. He's got his hands tied a little bit here. The idea that, the idea that he's got him still ranked in the top 25, given everything that he lost in both from the recruiting class and midseason and um, off last season's team is, is sort of remarkable in its own right. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm with you. I think Oregon, especially after what happened Thursday night, is um, clearly, I don't know about clearly, but probably the favorite in the Pac-12. But Norlander, enjoy your trip to Fog Allen. It is genuinely um, as awesome as people say. As every once in a while, you'll go to a place and you'll go, ah, I've heard about this for years. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the, like, to me, the two places that absolutely live up to expectations when you're in there, when you're there in the middle of a big game, Cameron Indoor and Allen Fieldhouse. Those are the two. No, nobody, nothing else belongs in the conversation. Like, uh, you know, no other, like, you know, I know the palestra is cool and I know the. That's pit. just cool, but I think it's cool yeah. for different reasons. Yeah, like, no. Yeah. In terms of you. Like, you know, you're in the place and you go, wow, this is even better than I thought. This is even cooler than I thought. It's Cameron Indoor and it's uh, and it's Allen Fieldhouse. It'll be awesome. I'll gap, I'll gap about it on the Monday podcast. Dig that. All right. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Uh, so you should do that. It's the quickest way to get the latest episodes. Um, knock that out. And whether you do or not, uh, we'll be back here again on Sunday. Till then, take care.